Blog Talk Radio. Sure, brought it up before the uh, the open 
to the show when we were talking before the show, but I just wanted to uh, bring up the fact that, you know, we haven't had a show in, in a couple of weeks and I don't think we've had a show, or at least I have not been able uh, to be a part of, uh, of the show uh, since the passing of Tyler Skaggs, um, which I understand mm-hmm. is probably uh, a sensitive topic to, to some people. And, you know, obviously, you know, I'll put this out there first. We don't get an opportunity to know any of these people personally. I don't know them right. personally. I would never pretend to know them personally. Um, but, you know, we, we do follow these guys. I, I remember when I really liked Skaggs' curveball way back, um, you know, before his Tommy John surgery, right around the time where he was being traded over from the Arizona Diamondbacks to the Los Angeles Angels, and you know, just uh, just a tragedy. There's nothing really to to, to point out about it in particular. Uh, just you know, I think one of the main things he leaves behind, like most baseball players will, is you know, just the the tape that we have of them playing the game. And so you know, I'm I'm glad that he at least has that. And you know, fans fans of his, you know, from a skills perspective. Uh, like myself and others who have really liked watching him pitch over the year, like watching uh, the way his his curveball and such had uh, taken shape. And, yeah, so just uh, just wanted to point that out. It seems a little um, not on topic or, so to speak, or not, you know, fresh anymore. But uh, we haven't had the chance Mm -hmm. to cover it. And so I I don't want to be like the person bringing it back up to so many people. But at the same time, I I did want to just mention it real quick. No, I I agree with that. I I I feel the same way. I haven't I actually haven't posted a show since before the All-Star break as well and uh just everything that's gone on uh with the Skags like situation, uh them throwing a combined no-hitter the first game back. It's it, it's surreal to see all this uh and not only that, but uh, at the All-Star game itself, uh, uh, Carlos Carrasco, uh, the, basically the whole Indians team that was there uh, standing up, the whole crowd being a part of that. Uh, it's been a, a great few weeks of uh, community building uh, in the in the baseball community, and it's uh, it's nice to see. Uh, our guest this week is Brian Lurz. Uh He's the owner of Real Deal Dynasty Sports and has been a writer with MajorLeagueFantasySports.com for five plus years. Uh, Brian, uh, anything you wanted to open up with, and uh, what are you currently working on? Yeah, well, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, that was a great introduction, and, and I definitely would like to piggyback on that a little bit. First of all, not to rub it in, but it's been super um, uh, nice out here, 70 degrees and, and sunny and a little bit of a breeze, <laughs> so I can't relate to the, um, the temperature and humidity and all that kind of stuff you guys have been dealing with. But mm-hmm. on the flip side, I can um, add a little bit to the Tyler Skaggs because I do live in the Southland um, and have had a lot of opportunities to talk to people that were at diehard Angel fans as well as just being in the local coverage area mm-hmm. here. And it's a kind of um, a unique situation because not only was he a good baseball player, but he was just a, a great person. And everybody that you talk to seems to have somehow been impacted uh, by his life on and off the field. Mm-hmm. And um, he, was just, he was always great with, with fans uh, signing things, and, and, and the teammates just loved him. And it's not just because of this incident that happened, but this was always something that he was just a great guy. He was always kind of a guy that um, just kind of mm-hmm. was a leader in the clubhouse as far as um, off the field type of things, getting people together, um, like a party planner type of thing. 
So, um, and then and then the Angels organization has dealt, dealt with a couple issues uh, in, the, in, the, in the past of Valbuena uh, passing away uh, over the last, last year, I believe, right. um, with the, um, you know, uh, in a tragic accident. And then uh, Nick um, Arnhart, I think it was uh, about 10, 10 years ago, was dealt with uh, yep. died in a car accident. Uh, he was also an angel too. So the, the angels uh, um, community has really had a uh, had, had a rough time over the last ten years with losing mm-hmm. players and and fan favorites and things on that line. But um, it is it is uh, it makes me think a little bit about the fact that this is more than just um, sports, more than just game, um, and more than just fantasy right. sports. There's people's lives are changed by some of these players and some of these things too. So. I'm glad that um, that Skaggs has had a, a lot of people come and honor him down at Angel Stadium. They have a memorial there, and you see mm-hmm. all the time people just adding to it. It becomes just a huge, um, just a, a piece of the stadium now. That out, right outside the stadium, that keeps growing and growing and growing. And people from all over the the country that, that are displaced Angel fans have been coming back. Um, over the last month mm-hmm. and going to Angels games and adding stuff to that memorial too. So it's pretty, pretty it's cool to see that type of thing and, and the baseball community kind of bonding together uh, around that. So um, moving yeah. beyond that, um, I haven't, I, I don't, I'm not doing anything with major league fans sports right now. My, my time is um, for the season is, is done, but I do have a lot going on with, mm-hmm. with uh, real deal dynasty sports. We just started up a new brand new startup uh, football league. 32 team league um, nice. with a with a Debbie uh, element. We have a one round Debbie draft, which is which is kind of crazy when you have 32 teams. That's kind of unique. I don't know anyone else that kind of does anything like that. So the cool thing is we were able to fill the league 32 teams in eight days and are just starting the startup draft right now. And um, it's been cool because I didn't even have to advertise it on any uh, league forums or Reddit or anything like that. I was able to fill it all with people within the real deal community and people referrals nice. from them. So with, with zero advertising, was able to fill a 32 team startup league. So that's exciting because that means that the brand is working and people are into it and excited about it. And this is the first new league we've launched in three years. So I know there was some excitement going on with that as well. So that's kind of what I've been um, doing, kind of uh, focused a little bit more on finish, uh, transitioning to football as well as we got basketball looming too, because with, with Real Deal, the Dynasty, uh, we have two basketball leagues, and uh, they come they coming up quickly now too, because it's uh, all kind of an all year approach. With the um, we we already have contracts and things along that happening in those leagues too, so it's exciting time right now and for for Dynasty sports because it's a really all year thing, and now that baseball is kind of um, in full bloom, we we turn our attention to some of the uh, fall sports and. And uh, just a lot going on, enjoying it. Yeah. Well, that's good. Uh, glad you're keeping yourself busy. Uh, that 32-team league sounds uh, really interesting. Sounds like a, a lot of work um, to not only run that, but also uh, to be a part of it. But before we get into our streamers, uh, I want to inform our audience of our partner, Thrive Fantasy Sports. Are you tired of the same old salary-based daily fantasy apps and websites? You can sign up for Thrive Fantasy Sports, which is a prop bet-based site that uses over and unders for players in MLB, NBA, and NFL to make a lineup, and more sports are on the way. 
can go to thrivefantasy.com or on your phones and tablets in the Apple and Google Play stores. Look for the Thrive Fantasy app. After you download, use the promo code MLFS. That's the initials for Major League Fantasy Sports. So MLFS, and you'll get your first $10 matched in real time. That's right. If you put in 10 bucks, then you'll get an extra $10 in real time. Just use the promo code MLFS, the initials for Major League Fantasy Sports, on the ThriveFantasy.com, uh, on ThriveFantasy.com, or on your phones and tablets in the Apple and Google Play stores. And remember to donate to our Patreon account. You can go to MajorLeagueFantasySports.com, and along the right side of the page, just under the headline section, you'll find the Patreon donation button. Uh, you can set up a monthly donation for as little as $1 or make a one-time donation. Thank you to our current supporters. And we also have openings in our football leagues for the 2019 season, so you can get jump start on that because football is right around the corner. Uh, you can email Corey D. Roberts at MajorLeagueFantasySports at gmail.com, and he'll give you more details about what leagues are open. Or if there uh, aren't any more openings, you can put your name on a waiting list, I'm sure, for – uh, for 2020, uh, if if that works for you. So we'll now begin with our um, our streamers. We'll start with Cole. Cole, um, who you got for Monday? Yeah, so uh, for Monday, I have a, a bit of a mixed bag in terms of, you know, I, I didn't see a name that stuck out, but I saw a couple things uh, in particular that stuck out. Um, for one, I do like, uh, I won't say his name quite yet to just bury the lead, but I do like who uh, Brian Lurz uh, is going to suggest, I believe, in a minute here, a uh, player making his uh, 2019 seasonal debut. I also know that uh, that Brian's a fan of Sampson, uh, whether in this matchup or not. And I think Sampson uh, of, of the Texas Rangers uh, has a pretty solid matchup uh, on, on Monday against the Seattle Mariners who, you know, haven't been, great over the course of the season if you look at it in the whole and then if you take out what was an uncharacteristic um first month of the season it looks it looks quite a bit worse mm-hmm. um and then the uh so so that's uh that's you know Sam, Samson against uh at the Seattle Mariners um but I think the matchup that I think's most interesting to me uh in these these first few games this first series of the week uh, is the Miami Marlins at the the Chicago White Sox. Uh, on the Marlins side of things, you get Trevor Richards uh, traveling to Chicago. Now, you know, the more the Chicago team develops, uh, I, I know Brian does a lot on, on prospects, so I, you know, I'm sure he feels similarly. But, but you know, the White Sox aren't going to be uh, an offense that you stream against for long. They already have some up-and-coming guys. They already have Juan Moncada, mm-hmm. and even with with the ups and downs and, and you know, the flaws in Tim Anderson, uh, he's still uh, an athletic shortstop type. But then you got guys like Nick Madrigal, uh, who's barely striking out at all and stealing a ton of bases in the minors, and uh, Luis Robert, who's been on an absolute tear since uh, being called up to the AAA level. So this White Sox team might be uh, not be one to stream against uh, for very long. But the thing about lineups, and I think – one thing that a lot of people forget to realize when they're scouting and looking at and trying to predict lineups is that lineups really do grow exponentially. If you take out the one 
bad hitter and replace him with a one above average hitter, it covers up such a gap that you're not just gaining that right there because, you know, the, you know, the way baseball works with you getting guys on and continuing to moving, move the baseball lineup down uh, and, and getting through the baseball lineup uh, uh, multiple times. The Chicago White Sox, as of now, are still a team that I see as a stream against, I guess is what I'm ultimately getting at, uh, because to me they still have enough holes that their ship can't stay mm-hmm. up enough. And even if you get hammered by the guys that you know are, are hard to go up against on that lineup, you still have a chance of getting out of it because – you know, maybe Juan Moncada gets a double and then just nothing happens after him. You know, those those situations are going to happen uh, more often with the Chicago White Sox than the, than the team that's really strong one through eight, which those those guys aren't yet. Uh, so so the Trevor Richards game, um, and then on the other side of things, um, you know, I can't say for for a team that's 500, I can say I think a lot of positive things about the White Sox and and then moving forward. I don't think there's even as many positive things to say about the Miami Marlins, but there's Uh just about as many negative things. Uh, They have a lot of holes in that lineup. Uh, I don't really enjoy starting Ivan Nova uh, regularly, um, but at the same time, you know, I think the whole point of streamers is trying to find these matchups that you're willing to go after, um, you know, kind of despite – despite some negatives that exist and matchups uh, against the Miami Marlins at home or really in Miami where you get the park advantage. So either the home advantage or the park advantage, uh, either one works for a pitcher against my, the Miami Marlins and Yvonne Nova is probably not over owned. So, so that's a, that's the matchup of kind of targeting both Monday and in the early week. Nice. Okay. Uh, both those, all those sound good. Uh, Brian, who you got for Monday? Well, as uh, Cole alluded to, I have Ryan Barecki, who is um, pitches for the Toronto Blue Jays. He is making his season debut uh, due to an elbow injury that he is, is just coming back from. Um, and the reason why I like him, of course, I, I do tend to focus a lot on the young guys and the prospects. And he was never a, a high-level uh, prospect, but he, is had, he had a very mm-hmm. productive minor league career and as well as had a productive um, 2018 when he did pitch uh, in Toronto. So his like his numbers last year, uh, he did he had uh, 17 games started, uh, pitched just under 100 innings, and he had 387 ERA and 380 FIP, which means that he's hit his ERA pretty much indicates exactly how well he was pitching. Um, you know he's not gonna he's not a strikeout master, and uh, and and his his walk, you know, ratio is okay. He's kind of like he's six, seven strikeouts to thirty-three walks, so it's kind of average in both both senses. But what I like about it is that he is making his debut the end of July, so he's fresh. He doesn't have a ton of innings. He doesn't even have a lot of minor league innings under his belt right now. So he's a guy that can come in there. He's probably not going to go long because he really has no reason to. So if he can go out there and get five innings and keep the pitch count down and throw strikes to prove he's got what he what he can do. I don't think the Indians lineup right now is is all that scary. Yeah, we have a couple, you know, guys like Lindor and Santana and um, Ramirez that are, you know, that are good hitters that we know of. But other than um, Ramirez, who's started to come alive recently, the, the hottest hitters in the lineup right now is Oscar Mercado and Tyler Nyquist. 
um, everybody else is kind of slumping right now. And, and even Santana after having a pretty monster first half of the season. So I think this is a good time for them to come in, uh, um, the Blue Jays to come into Cleveland and let um, Berkey, uh, Berkey hit because Cleveland hasn't seen him much. And again, fresh arm. He's a good streaming option for Monday, which isn't a full slate to uh, give you maybe five innings and, and keep you in the game so that if you need to get those innings or some some basic ratios without um, getting them completely blown through the roof. He's a guy that I think is somewhat of a safe uh, option for Monday. Nice. Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a good option uh, that people should try to add, especially since he's only about 1% owned. Um, I have a couple options myself. They're more more owned than the guys you you mentioned, but uh, Daniel Ponce de Leon, uh, he's supposed to get a two-start week. His first start is uh, at Pittsburgh um, on Monday, uh, 23% owned. He's struck out 41 and 35 and two-thirds. Uh, innings with a 2.80 ERA. It's undefeated, 1-0. Uh, hasn't really pitched many innings so far in the majors. So that's that's one guy uh, that I'm looking at, um, mainly because uh, Pittsburgh has uh, struggled uh, offensively um, the last couple of weeks uh, since coming back. Uh, after Josh, uh, well, as long as Josh Bell doesn't uh, make great contact against him. Uh, another guy, Homer Bailey. Uh, I just, uh, not maybe not for this start, because he's facing, because uh, Garrett Cole um, is on the other side, but um, maybe for the rest of the season, Homer Bailey's uh, been uh, pretty good so far. He has eight wins on the season. Uh, he, got, uh, he got his uh, first win since being traded from Kansas City to Oakland. Uh against Seattle uh, last week. Uh, he's really a guy that I think is a nice uh, season, season-long play um, if you can uh, pick him up, mainly because Oakland's been playing so well. Um, Cole, of those two, which one do you think is a better two-star play uh, this week? I believe uh, Ponce de Leon gets Pittsburgh and then Houston. And Homer Bailey starts with Houston and then gets um, Texas in his second start. You know, what's, what, what's really interesting, first off, with uh, Homer Bailey, I think, I think the answer, first off, I guess, the second time say first off, but uh, I think the answer here is <laughs> that Homer Bailey is, you know, completely different than Ponce de Leon because uh, Ponce de Leon right. is this young player who, you know, we're, we're wondering what he can get to uh, over the course of the next five years, and we're looking at him kind of right. uh, at, at uh, a preliminary point of his trajectory, I think is a fair thing to say. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if he does really well, I don't think that would uh, shock people necessarily, but, you know, you know, a lot of people have different, as I just said, the word trajectories when it comes to your career. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're, we're using – very early things when when we're projecting how Ponce de Leon uh, is going to play in the long run. On the reverse side, Homer Bailey is a guy who not only has been around for a while, but if you, if you take away all the injuries and go back to the point before he had all those injuries, he was becoming a Mm -hmm. fairly well-established 
mid-rotation starter. Um, you know, yeah. uh, regardless of the in- injuries, you could argue that it was a bit of an overpay. But this is a guy who has gotten the $100 million contract in his career, has proven to a team based on performance at one point in his career that he was worth $100 million. And what we've seen throughout the entire season uh, is, you know, now healthy in the last year of that $100 million contract, can he finally find a way, you know, to just not just be healthy, be an innings eater, and then maybe be a little bit more than an innings eater. Um, And he was doing Mm -hmm. a couple kind of interesting things in terms of swing and miss and strikeouts at the beginning of the season. And then this last month, he's been fairly interesting in terms of like just quietly putting up good, good start after good start. And then they did the one thing that can really make a a player interesting, I think, and they they put him in Oakland, which is just, you know, I I think there's very few parks that I make an active ERA adjustment when someone moves to that park. Uh, And even coming from Mm. Kauffman, which is in its own right a a pretty, pretty nice stadium to pitch in, um, I, I think I have to drop Homer Bailey's projected ERA like I have to drop any projected ERA when he goes to Oakland. So um, as a veteran, I I think that's a good move. I think that's a good place for him to be in. Uh, And I do think he can continue to build off uh, the success he's had uh, recently. You know, the only thing with Homer Bailey, again, is, you know, as a veteran, as someone who's had so many injuries, um, I think the thing you're worried about with the price that 99% of owners paid for Homer Bailey what you're worried about mm-hmm. is that he either gets hurt or falls from grace, and it's not an injured list stint. Because an injured list stint is easy. Right. If as, as a Homer Bailey owner in a deep dynasty league who picked him up off the waiver wire, you know, knock on wood, but if Homer Bailey tears his UCL tomorrow, we just drop him. It's not hard. It's not difficult. It's not right. And, and I, I don't mourn it too much because at the end of the day it was a free token that I never thought was going to you know have some real upside uh in the return um I think what you're afraid of is that he gets a little you know twisted a little injury and instead of you know the immediate injured list Oakland throws him out there a few times and you've been expecting better numbers in Oakland for the reasons I just outlined in terms of the ballpark and such and you're stuck with someone who's showing more of what he's shown the last three years. So I think if I had to pick, it would be Homer mm-hmm. Bailey. But, you know, I, I think there's so many things. There's so many things with Ponce de Leon that if you see something break right for like three starts in a row, you might say, oh, this guy's turning a corner. He might really get it. And inversely, mm-hmm. there's so many things I think you can see uh, with Homer Bailey that go, oh, I hope we're not going down this path again. Um, so, yeah, I guess right. that's what I – that's what I have for those two guys. Yeah. Uh, Brian, do you have anything about those two guys? Uh, I know um, uh, Cole did a great job analyzing those two, but if you had a choice between those two, uh, who would you start this week? Yeah, I mean, um, for Monday only, of Ponce de Leon, but I, it's a, yeah. both of them playing Houston. Uh, pitching at Houston, I would rather have Bailey against Houston only because he's a veteran. And, yeah, it doesn't mean he's not going to get killed. But, I mean, I, I think he has a better mm-hmm. chance not getting killed um, just because he just has – he has more to draw from um, than, than Ponce de Leon does. So, in a two-start uh, deal, yeah, I would go Bailey. 
All right. Uh, uh, let's jump on to Tuesday. Uh, Brian, we'll start with you this time. Uh, who you got for Tuesday? Yeah, so Tuesday I have – we were just talking about um, Pittsburgh, and I have um, Dakota Hudson because uh, going against Pitt, uh, going at Pittsburgh. So we got – I guess we got two days in a row we're looking at um, Cardinal pitchers. And uh, the yeah. reason why I like Hudson is, is surprisingly he's been one of the most consistent pitchers in that rotation all season, um, which is somewhat strange to say, but due to injuries and other things, He's been there through the in that entire season, which is ironic because last year he pitched out of the bullpen. They won 100% sure they were even going to make him a starter again because he was so effective out of the bullpen last year. There was rumor that he was going to come in the start of 2019 and be the eighth inning guy um, because he was so effective in the late innings last year. But they just saw too much potential in him. He's got you know he's got a lot of pitches to draw from. So they decided to stretch him back out, put him in the rotation. And by and large, it's been a successful gamble. ERA is 357 at, with 19 starts. Um, and um, it's been over 100 innings. So the, overall, that's been, been a success. Of course, the downside is his um, whip's a little high, 151. And his fifth is over five. So he's been a little bit lucky here and there. Uh, that being said, um, if you look at his numbers as a whole and just kind of follow him as I have, because I have him in two leagues, he's, uh, he's been relatively consistent and he doesn't uh, lay an egg in against tough matchups. He tends to be competitive. And the, the time, the reason why that some of his numbers aren't as great is because sometimes he'll have that five inning four earn run type of thing, but still three and a half ERA is pretty good. And I'm surprised he's not higher owned with that reason why I think that people stay away from him is because his peripherals aren't as good as they should be. And that's partly because of his command. If he could ever get his command in check, this guy could be phenomenal. And I say that because he does have a plus-plus fastball. He's got an above-average slider and an above-average cutter. Um, and when you, when you break it down to, to his fastball, he throws a four-seamer, two-seamer, and a sinker. Uh, so, and there's four steamer and a sinker both run about 94 miles an hour and obviously have different um, action to it. He also throws an occasional two steamer as well that's about five miles an hour or so slower. So, he can mix it up. So, even when he's throwing a fastball, it's not coming at you the same way. Uh, and then he's got uh, a changeup at 88 and a slider 82. So, he can really throw a lot of stuff at you, which is the reason why I believe that St. Louis keeps insisting on. The desire to make him a starting pitcher. So with that, all that being said, um, I think he's got a good matchup against Pittsburgh this week. Uh, like we mentioned, they're not um, hitting the cover off the ball. Bell's always going to be someone that you got to worry about. But quite frankly, he has been um, he's been a little cold since the All Star game, and um, you know this could be, of course, the game he breaks back out of. He's had a phenomenal season, um, but right now the um, there's really nobody that's hitting the ball that great um, in that lineup. So I think he's a pretty safe bet. Uh, the one thing about Dakota is I would, I would like to think his strikeout should be a lot higher. He's only, um, he, he's only got 16.5% strikeout rate, and his walk rate is over 10%. He's the only reason why I believe he's not higher owned, because people look at that and say he's, he's wild, and his command, again, is, is holding him back. So by and large, for a streaming option, um, I think you can do a lot worse than Dakota Hudson against the uh, 
a struggling Pirates lineup. And again, he doesn't usually lay eggs. That's the thing. That the reason why he may not put up the fancy stats that you may like is because he he puts people on base. Uh, he walks them, but he tends to not let them score. And that's always a positive thing when you're looking for streamers. Yeah, um, uh, that's, a, that's a good, great points uh, there, Brian. Uh, Cole, uh, who you got for Tuesday? You know, I think there's, uh, once again, uh, quite a few interesting names on this slate. Uh, I think one mm-hmm. matchup that sticks out to me that I think is a little weird to stick out uh, is the Oakland at Houston matchup, uh, just because, you know, mm-hmm. Wade Miley isn't anything to write home about. But he is a pitcher who's made success at least these last couple of years when he has been successful um, of limiting those kind of hard, damaging fly balls um, that end up going for extra base hits and home runs more often than not. He's able to keep the ball uh, not just in the ballpark but out of the air uh, is something that he does uh, fairly well or has done very well when mm-hmm. when, when, when Wade Miley is being successful. Um, and you know, in Oakland, he'll have the advantage, or excuse me, this game's in Houston. Uh, so, you know, Houston, he'll, he'll still be able to play these guys. And, and if he can successfully do that and he can successfully, you know, keep the ball in the ballpark, I think this is a fairly good matchup for him, uh, even though Oakland's uh, a fairly good offense and on the other side of things, you know, I'm not starting Mike Fires probably against Houston just because it's such a, a low upside uh, and, the, the risk is there, um, but at the same time, you know, compared to I think what you'd have to pay and what you'd uh, what would be what, what we would consider the consensus expectations for this matchup, uh, I think the Fires and Miley matchup could be uh, a bit low scoring uh, in, in comparison. Um, Dylan Covey of the Chicago White Sox uh, happens to be going up. Uh, against the Miami Marlins on this one. So that's a bit of an interesting matchup, again, more just because of the Marlins. Caleb Smith starts on the other side of that. He's, uh, you know, not a streamer. Um, Another name that's just, I think, maybe a little bit worth talking about, because he isn't a good matchup, but, you know, Aaron Sanchez has been just putrid recently. I mean, I – I uh, wasn't exactly sure how bad it had been until I looked at his page. And, I mean, it, it, it's just been, you know, it, there's one thing to be said about losing consecutive decisions, meaning, you know, either getting a win and getting or getting a loss and taking those games. But Aaron Sanchez has lost 10 consecutive games. 10 consecutive decisions would be substantial, but he's lost 10 consecutive games that he's played in. He was – you know, three and four as recently as May 27th going into that game. He's three and 14 now. And he's also lost, uh, in terms of going to consecutive decisions instead of consecutive games, uh, he's lost 13 consecutive decisions in a row. When he started that streak, he was three and one with a 2.32 ERA. Now he's three and 14, 13 straight losses and decisions with a 6.26 ERA. I don't see anything in him right now that tells me he's about to turn a corner. Don't get me wrong, but this is a guy before all the injuries uh, that I did think had uh, 
some upside and, and some potential for success. Uh, I don't think you can uh, throw them out there in a lot of league context because in a lot of league context you can't take the negative and you know it's also just not that deep. Um, but there's so many disgruntled owners dropping Aaron Sanchez and he's got enough talent to me you know, on paper that if I'm looking at him in a positive matchup, it's going to tempt me, uh, even with the numbers he's been putting up recently. You know, a lot of his ground ball, fly ball numbers are a lot closer to one-to-one than I think people would be expecting mm-hmm. for how bad he's been. I think they'd expect he's giving up uh, more fly balls, uh, though, you know, this past month he has not been getting that many more strikeouts uh, than walks. If you go back to his first start in June, he's got 27 strikeouts and 26 walks over that time. So he's definitely struggling. Um, but he's a, he's a guy I'm going to keep my eye on just because, you know, a couple of years ago I was a big fan of what we saw between his curveball, between his sinker movement. Um, and I'm not willing to completely give up on him, you know, forever. Even if we give up on him for this year, I'm not willing to give up on him forever. Just turned 27 uh, th- this month. Uh, so, you know, just an, just an interesting a uh, player that I'm going to keep watching, even though he's had this this horrendous stretch of games uh, that I just felt, you know, not not to put it out, but uh, that I felt needed to be brought up at this point in the streamer conversation. Yeah, it's it's been a weird season for him for sure, especially uh, I think it was 2016, which was his first full year in the majors. He won the ERA title in the American League, and it's been a tough fall from uh, grace for. Aaron Sanchez, for sure. Uh, the guy I'm looking at, uh, we've mentioned him na- his name a few times, uh, Merrill Kelly. Um, he gets to face the Orioles in Arizona. Um, and I, I just like the way uh, Kelly has pitched of late. Uh, he, he, I th- he pitched really well against Milwaukee uh, his last time out. Um, he went seven innings, allowed one earned run, struck out six. Um, and didn't walk anyone. Uh, as long as he doesn't walk anyone, he, he's been good. Uh, uh, sure, he's 0-2 in his last four starts, but he allowed four runs, only one earned at St. Louis to start before, and only allowed three earned runs and a no decision, uh, six innings against the Dodgers in L.A. So uh, I think Merrill Kelly's a guy you should pick up uh, and keep him because uh, he, he can be streamed against – uh, most opponents, uh, as he's shown against the Dodgers and Milwaukee. Because um, Milwaukee's still a good offense. Their pitching might be a little iffy, but they still have a good offense. Um, Cole, we'll move on to Wednesday. Sure thing. So I, I think for this Wednesday matchup, I'm, I'm going to continue uh, to target the matchups that we had looked at uh, earlier in the week. Um, let me just pull this up real mm-hmm. quick. Uh, so um, you have Zach Gallen playing against the Chicago White Sox. I think in a lot of leagues, yep. um, he's going to be owned because of you know some of the prospect hype um, as, as he's come up. But I do think there's a potential for uh, some of the deeper leagues, uh, especially or just leagues where someone might have been uh, frustrated by this thing or that thing that they would have dropped him. So uh, I, I think he's interesting there. Uh, against the Chicago White Sox, and then on the flip side of things, uh, you know, for for the even with the ups and downs, Ronaldo Lopez hasn't been quite the uh, pitcher that myself and many others have built up to be. What I really like about Ronaldo Lopez is that 
Um, I think when he has his good fastball on, you can you can really see it, and it's it's kind of a thing that when you say it doesn't sound ideal, even when you're trying to idealize it. But his fastball really, to me, uh, doesn't need the control or command of the vast majority of pitchers because to me it just it just has mm. such a darting kind of uh, reflexive movement to it uh, that all he has to do is aim it for the center of the plate and let the natural movement uh, take the pitch where it needs to go. And if he can land it anywhere in the strike zone, I think he's got a, a good chance, especially if he can keep it anywhere out of the dead center. Uh, all that said, it's it's this, you know, he, he's a shorter guy. Uh, he's a guy that a lot of people have been putting in bullpens for his entire career or as, as a bullpen as his upside for his entire career. Um, and I think the reason we've seen that and this is he, he just, you know, we, we don't see the, the consistency and, and the control things that we'd want to see uh, from him in, in the short term. Uh, all that said, last two starts, 13 innings, two earned runs total. So uh, while the overall numbers aren't great, this is a player that has some pitches that I'm interested in, uh, has some, very, very recency, but some performance that I've been interested in uh, in the last couple weeks mm-hmm. uh, against tough teams like the Rays and the Athletics on the road. Now he gets a much less tough team, uh, though I will say uh, to add a caveat or a counter argument rather to my, to my own argument, uh, one of the things that always scares me about streaming types like Reynaldo Lopez is, is you get this sense sometimes um, that how they perform is mutually exclusive to their opponent. Like that clearly isn't completely true. I mean, it's a, it's a bigger deal if you make a mistake pitch, uh, you know, to, right. to, to Cody Bellinger than if you make a mistake pitch to, you know, Joe Schmo, who's out there to play center field defense. Um, but at the end of the day, I think what I'm, what I'm getting at is that any hitter that gets past a certain point or say 90% of them has a good chance of at least doing mm-hmm. some degree of damage on mistakes and has some ability to lay off horrible pitches and there's some ability uh, to, to know when a pitcher just doesn't have it at all. And I think that is a potential every time Reynaldo Lopez comes out. So, you know, that that's the only caveat because it, it's nice to say he's playing Miami, um, but at the same time, the, the way Ronaldo Lopez pitches, uh, his good stuff can come against Houston and his bad stuff against Miami, and he can have a much better day uh, against Houston when he's executing than against Miami when he's not. So it really comes down to self-execution with Ronaldo Lopez. So, yeah, that, that's really what I got for Wednesday. Yeah, Lopez had a, a good start in his last outing. Uh, it's just so tough to trust him when he's had so many bad outings in a row and then, like, he brings out his good self uh, against the good team. And you're like, oh, wow, maybe he's turning into Kurt corner. But then he just uh, lays another egg uh, after that. Um, Brian, yeah, who you got for Wednesday? It's interesting. Go ahead, Cole. Finish your thought. Right. Oh, sorry. Uh, I, I just wasn't sure there for a second. It, what's interesting, and it's one of those topics where I uh, – uh, to to extent wish I was talking to Kyle just because he's been a you know that semi professional right. and, and collegiate pitcher before. Um but I, I do think that Lopez's height is, is coming into play here and this is his height and his frame and all this stuff because he's got all these 
these movements and he, he puts in so much effort, it feels like, you know, um, you love it when you see a guy look effortless and that's a word that we throw out a lot. And even when I like Ronaldo Lopez, it doesn't feel effortless. So I guess that's what I was really trying to uh, get at in that last statement in terms of, you know, the, the small, smaller frame, right. Uh, it just looks like he's max efforting when he gets that 97 spin. So, so that's one yeah. thing about Lopez that, Makes makes me see why people for years have put this guy in a bullpen role and wonder if that's where he's ultimately going to end up. Nice, yeah, uh, couldn't agree uh, more. Uh, Brian, who you got for Wednesday? Yeah, I actually was looking at this same matchup and um, and I I liked uh, to talk about the Lopez thing too. And it's funny because last year about this time. Um, Giolito was sucking ass and Lopez, even though he was inconsistent, I, I, I was beginning to, uh, as an owner of both those guys and dynasty, I was beginning to think whether Lopez was going to be the better long-term deal because he, because Giolito just couldn't figure it out. And now, you know, a year later, Giolito is, is, uh, you know, has got it and Lopez is still in the same situation. But um, I'm actually going to look on the other side that you brought up Zach Gallon and, uh, some of the the um, ownership numbers is skewed because of dynasty leagues, but outside of dynasty leagues and redraft leagues, uh, 12 team and under gallon is probably still going to be out there. Because um, even in all the Yahoo leagues, he's 30% owned and even less than in ESPN. So I figured he was still worthy to talk about um, because uh, of, of, I always have to talk about at least one Marlins pitcher because as bad as the uh, the uh, lineup is. I still like what they're doing with their, their young pitchers. And Jeter's taken a lot of crap over the last couple of years about the trades and deservingly so. But at least, the very, very least, we're starting to see some of those guys that he acquired in the uh, uh, Zonia and Yellow trade make it to the major league and being somewhat effective. You have Gallon um, and, and uh, Alcantara. Um, in that from that Ozona trade and uh, uh, Yamamoto from the Yellow trade, all in the rotation now, and for the most part they are are contributing. I mean, come on, the Marlins suck. We 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 can all agree on that. But it's it's really not because of the rotation. The rotation has held their own and and given them chances to win. Um, they have three of the top ten organizational prospects in the rotation as we speak, and so they're they're. Um, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. What the problem is, is that they have a bunch of um, 30-year-old uh, utility players in their lineup um, and some four, like some quad A uh, type of uh, hitters there. They have nobody that bears anybody in their lineup. And because of that, these guys have to go out and basically pit, pit one, you know, one runner or less if they have a chance. So that's scary on their end, but on the same time, um, they are pitching effective enough for us to pay, pay attention on, on um, you know, fantasy purposes. So I say all that to say, I like Zach Gallum in this matchup. As you mentioned, the White Sox uh, have some potential. They have some guys that are going to be really good. And they, but for, for now, Eloy is hurt. Um, some of their other young guys are, are not, you know, clicking right now. And I believe this is a good time put a guy like Zach Gallon in in a streaming situation, 24 years old, and he is right now <laughs> listed as the number two um, starter in the Miami um, 
rotation, which is just crazy to me. But the reason why, and I think he's, unless he's ineffective, he's going to be up to stay. Why not? They don't have, uh, you know, Pablo Lopez, I like him. He's hurt right now. You know, let's, let's let these guys go out there and show what they got. And he's, he's a guy that has um, average or above average pitches on a major league level that could be successful. And the biggest thing with Zach Gallon is he has plus, uh, he has plus command, and that's going to allow him to be effective. His, um, he's got a four-seamer. He's got a sinker. They're both, you know, average, maybe slash plus average there. Uh, he's got a cutter, uh, average curveball, a changeup that's not too bad. None of these pitches just uh, overwhelm you. But the sum of all the parts, mm. I believe, is, is an above-average pitcher because of his command. Now, he hasn't 100% showed that so far in his limited time in the majors. Um, I mean, he's only had five uh, starts, 22 innings pitched. But he's still been able to do a, have a 3.63 ERA. His FIP is only 3.94, so he's been hanging in there. And his whip is just under 1.5. So he has given the, the Marlins a chance to win each and every time out, except they have nobody to hit. So he, so he, there's not much he can do about that. For fantasy purposes, it doesn't matter how good the, the Marlins lineup is. As long as this guy goes out there, he can give us five innings and, and basically uh, keep us in the game. He's, he's striking out 26% of his batters. The only trouble right now is he's still walking 14%. His minor league rec, um, record is not um, support that. So I think he's still trying to figure some things out. Um, the one nice thing is he's only given up the two home runs so far. So because of that um, cutter sinker focus, um, people not hitting out of the park. As long as he doesn't make a mistake on those, I think he's going to be good in that. So to keep the ball in the park and if he can, can get that command um, that he's shown throughout the minors and, and get uh, um, that under control, he's a good rest of the season guy that you can um, throw out there. But um, since we're talking about streamers, I like him this week against the White Sox. That right now doesn't have a serious lineup uh, just because of inconsistency and some injuries. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, great stuff about Gallon. Uh, he's a nice uh, nice piece that uh, the Marlins have been bringing along. Uh, the guy I was looking at, uh, I know uh, it might be tough uh with uh, Danielson Lamette, I, I feel like he's only 13% owned, but he's playing at at the Mets. Um, Mets offense has been like hit and miss. It depends on how Alonzo's doing right now. Alonzo's in part of a slump. I don't know if you guys saw him uh, break his bat like it was uh, a toothpick today, but it was uh, pretty pretty crazy how easily he did that um but he's been hitting i think he's hitting like 100 since the uh all-star break ended and uh in that frustration show today uh and i've i've uh, i feel like lamette uh has got enough innings under him that he's he feels like he should be ready to to go for the second half and be a nice little streamer option um for the not only against the Mets but the rest of the way. Uh, Thursday, who you got, Brian? Sorry about that. I was, uh, couldn't get my mute off. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm here. 
Sorry. All right. So I am going um, with Adam Plutko from Cleveland uh, against the Kansas City Royals on Thursday. It's, um, again, we're talking about streamers, and then we're talking about Thursday, which is a very limited slate. And so the reason why I went with him, and I think it's kind of more of a, a floor move, not so much a light straight lightning in a bottle, because quite frankly, he's been pretty average this year and throughout his career for that matter. But um, he's going up against uh, Kansas City in Coffee Stadium, which is a nice pitcher's park. And the uh, the Royals are not lighting it up per se. They have a couple guys that are hitting, and uh, but overall the the lineup. I mean, you know, you always know that Merrifield's gonna gonna do something. He's always he's always seems to be hot. Uh, Dozier and Soler are also playing a hot bat. But beyond that, you don't really have a a long lineup that you're worried about. So you could probably get five six innings out of Fusco as long as he uh, is is throwing strikes. And, and, and being somewhat effective. And the reason why, um, I always, when I talk about streamers, and it's not really my forte because I'm more you know, the dynasty guy, so I don't do a lot of streaming in my leagues. But when I, when I look at it, who I want to stream of, I was in a situation where I needed something. Uh, Plutko would be the type of guy I'd like because he has such great command. His, um, his, his uh, um, walk for nine is only 1.11. And which is only a 3.1% walk rate. So even though he's not going to strike out a ton of guys, he has a very he doesn't he doesn't walk anybody. He doesn't give the free bases. He he makes people work for their runs and their hits. So that to me is something that is really important because I mean his ERA is not great 4.81 in in uh, what 48 innings. And this is a guy that you know he's 27 years old and for, this is the first year that he's pretty much been up. Most of the year, he's done a lot of uh, you know split time over the last couple of years between the minors and 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 the majors. But he's got eight games start under his belt, as well as some sometimes out of the bullpen. Um, but his whip throughout those 48.2 innings is 1.09. So he really is keeping guys off base. And even though he's done it, he's given up six home runs. He obviously gives up some runs to have a high high ERA, but he's not giving the freebies up. And those are the type of guys that on a short slate, when half the guys go in are stars, you're not going to get a lot of streaming options out there. He's a guy that might have a safe floor to at least get you the innings that you need to and not blow up your ratios. Mm. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, he's a guy I was looking at uh, as well. Uh, Cole, who you got for Thursday? You know, one thing uh, that's interesting, and uh, I'm actually, I, I think Brian alluded to this firsthand, but, you know, Mondays and Thursdays are our difficult days. Uh, I, I say every week that we say that every week, but it didn't really seem to come up for yeah. Monday because it seemed to be a, a fairly rich day, in my opinion, uh, in terms of the options mm-hmm. that we had to put forward. Um, but, you know, Thursday is a typical traveling day, and this one feels pretty rich, too. Maybe it's uh, fewer off days coming off of uh, the All-Star break. Um, but it, but it is a limited schedule comparatively, um, and I think uh, one name that I think is interesting that doesn't get a lot of talk right now is Mike Montgomery, um, because and I, I fully agree with the sentiment that based on what Mike Montgomery's done, not just for this baseball season, but pretty much the last calendar year, um, 
there's not a whole lot to get excited about. But if you're someone like me who's, you know, builds their own rankings at the beginning of each season, you might remember that Mike Montgomery had a little bit of preseason hype a few years ago. Um, and, and while performance wasn't necessarily uh, an overwhelming positive, you know, like I, I think they would have allowed him uh, an opportunity to get that full-time gig uh, all the time if he would have been, you know, blowing the roof off the doors. Um, I think the Cubs' desire to keep Mike Montgomery as a swingman and to keep him uh, ready for bullpen duty and, and emergency bullpen duty has really hindered uh, by this point, the potential development of Mike Montgomery as a full-time starter. Um, and so as someone uh, who developed kind of more than just a passing interest in Montgomery going back a couple years ago when it looked like he might have a chance to break the Cubs' preseason rotation, um, I, I, I find myself pretty interested in him at his pretty much free cost in a new environment. You know, I'm interested in him for the start in Cleveland. I'm interested in him for his Tuesday start next Tuesday against Toronto. Uh, I, I, I just think Montgomery's a player that, you know, if, if just all that magic was either um, bullocks or is, is just going to go away forever, I think that's fundamentally uh, very possible. We see that happen all the time. Um, but at the same token, um, if Mike Montgomery started to – you know, more so fill into these shoes that we've seen him try to walk in before. Uh, I think that wouldn't surprise me too much. So, so Mike Montgomery is a guy who I'm interested in uh, for this matchup against the Cleveland team. Um, you know, uh, Brian said earlier about Cleveland having some really good hitters, um, but just, just to combine two statements that have been made in this show, uh, you know, Cleveland has some very good hitters. But Cleveland, I think, is one of the best examples of the argument that lineups build exponentially because when you even put Michael Brantley in an outfield of mostly kind of crud players, no offense, but if you, you know, it is what it is. And the, the war in their outfield, the production, in their outfield offensively has not been great this year. And if you even put a Michael Brantley tight there, you're moving the lineup and getting to those guys and getting to those guys with either men on in scoring position or men about to come on, that have the capacity to knock you in, uh, your lineup grows so exponentially. The Cleveland Indians have lost so much exponentially from just last year because they took out a couple big bats and replaced them with just, you know, scrap heap type, rule five type, uh, whatever we can find type players. Uh, and that really hasn't worked out for them uh, in terms of the overall offensive production. Uh, so, yeah, I think this Montgomery matchup is interesting. I think the whole weekend series for streaming uh, with Cleveland and the Royals could be fairly interesting. Now, obviously, when you're talking about Cleveland, you're talking about a lot of well-known, very owned pitchers uh, for a lot of those matchups. Right. But uh, other than those well-owned, very well-known and not, not because of skill, but because they're too owned, they're being excluded pitchers. Uh, I think quite a few starts. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, Plutko was just mentioned by Brian for the other side of this game. I think quite a few starts in this Cleveland-Kansas City Royals series are going to have uh, the opportunity to be looked on uh, a, a week from now with some pretty successful streams against some, you know, mediocre at best offenses. Yeah, uh, I agree completely with that. Uh, it, it should be interesting. 
to see uh, those streaming options for the weekend. Uh, the one guy I was looking at, mainly because of the matchup, uh, Jamie Berea facing Baltimore. Uh, Baltimore's offense hasn't been uh, – they, they were hot this past weekend, but I think that had more to do with the weather uh, than the offensive team that they are. They're, they're, not, they're not a high-run scoring team. Uh, they strike out a lot, and uh, Berea might benefit from that. Um, uh, Berea from the Angels, uh, he's a righty. Uh, 33 innings, 34 strikeouts, 7.36 ERA. Um, but I, I think uh, he's, if you're looking for a streamer that won't hurt hurt your numbers, he's a nice little option. Um, who you got for Friday, Cole? So uh, the guy I have for Friday isn't someone who buys into the uh, the won't hurt you uh, diagram that you just gave up, um, but I am a little bit interested in Tigers starter uh, Daniel Norris in this matchup against the Seattle Mariners. Um, to get to that first statement I made about not hurting you, uh, in three of his last five games, he's given up at least five earned runs with five, six, and six in three of those five. So he clearly hasn't been – uh, someone that could be relied on. Um, but, you know, the interesting thing about Danny Norris is uh, there's, like, so many different tiers of prospect fame. And Daniel Norris at one point was close to the top tier of prospect fame. You know, everything short of the Bryce Harpers who are on every magazine and, and talked about, like, a second coming. I mean, Daniel Norris had a front page. And I, I, granted, a lot of it was due to his – a uh, unique lifestyle, uh, but Daniel Norris had a front page ESPN article for a number of years um, as this top prospect pitcher that a lot of people were interested in getting in on. Uh, he's only 26 years old as of today, and he turned 26 at the very start of the season, or at least uh, mid-April. So, uh, you know, he, he's he's a young, relatively young 26. This is his age 26 season, and he has been struggling. Um, but he does have skills, and, and another thing I brought up earlier is the fact that you know, the Seattle Mariners drop about six or seven points uh, in terms of placement in WOBA if you just go from season long to since May because in that April they were doing really, really well, and that's allowed them to stay in the 14, 15, 16, 17th tier uh, when it comes to offenses when really they've been performing uh, like a 21st, 22nd, 23rd tier offense. Now, uh, if you look at that since, since May figure, the Phillies are a surprising outlier given uh, how much hype we had for them coming into the season. But most of the teams uh, in the Mariners ballpark, the Giants, the Blue Jays, the Royals right underneath them, the Orioles, uh, are not offenses that have been doing so well uh, so far this season. So uh, the Mariners is an offense that I feel pretty good streaming against. I almost brought up Jordan Zimmerman. Uh, for the Thursday start, despite the fact that he's, you know, obviously got his bumps and bruises likely to come at some points throughout the season. Um, so, yeah, Daniel Norris, not the safe option, but an option that makes sense for another uh, a number of reasons on paper. Uh, and I, I can see how you can theoretically uh, derive upside from this matchup uh, when it comes to Daniel Norris uh, against the Seattle Mariners. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I was also thinking about 
talking about Jordan Zimmerman, but uh, I look at his numbers and it's gross. Uh, so I've been avoiding Jordan Zimmerman in uh in most leagues. Um, who you got for Friday, Brian? Well, I am looking at that um the Angels uh, Orioles series as well, and pretty much anytime you got the Orioles, the, you got to take a look at who is up against them. Because there's a good chance to success. Um, we talked about the Marlins being a pretty rough lineup, and I think the Orioles are, you know, they have a couple guys that that could that could be uh, potential uh, in the future, mm-hmm. like Mancini. But for the most part, they have a pretty rough lineup as well. And in this case, um, you know, I, I'm going to keep going with my uh, young guys and 23-year-old Griffin Canning, who was uh, called up by the Angels uh, earlier this season. And um, he's stayed up, uh, you know, despite kind of inconsistent success. Um, he's, he's got 14 starts on his belt now, over seven more innings. He doesn't go particularly deep in games, but uh, he's, he has a 4.67 ERA and a 4.70 fit. So he's pretty much pitching, uh, it, it, like his numbers are, are, are equal to what he's doing. So he's, he's kind of going out there. He's doing, he's doing decent. Um, but not he, there's a lot of room for improvement, and I I think he has the stuff in order to get there. This is a guy that has um, three above average pitches. You know he's got a, a above average four seamer. He's got a he's got a plus um, potential plus slider and a, a potential above average changeup. He also throws a, a major league average curve. So he's got four pitches, and he really has a the ability. He has the potential to be a um, you know top of the rotation type of guy, and um, you know when you go up against Baltimore, I think that some of that skill set is going to come through because he's basically up going to be up against those AAA type of hitters which he has dominated um, in recent in recent mm-hmm. times. So um, I like him in this, in this game. He's got some potential for strikeouts. He's striking out almost ten per nine, um, and he uh, has mm-hmm. uh, limited his walk somewhat. Only about three per nine, so that's not too bad. He does have the tendency to to give up a couple bombs. He's got 13 bombs, and um, and like I said, 14 starts. He's given up almost a home run per game, which is a little concerning. Um, and he might do that in this game against Baltimore, but for the most, for his whip overall is 1.18. So I I do like that. So he is keeping him honest. And when he's giving up so many home runs, they're they're not killing him because it's not so not all of them are. Um, with a lot of guys on base. So for um, a streamer for Friday against a weak Baltimore lineup, uh, I like, um, I like Griffin Cannon in this one. Yeah. Uh, he, he was one of the guys I was looking at. Uh, there's two guys, one guy that I have, uh, Michael Pineda is one, uh, only 35% owned, uh, facing that White Sox team uh, that isn't, fully um, experienced yet, but I mean, they'll be good soon, but um, he's going up against Dylan Cease, who's really uh, struggled, um, at least he struggled uh, today in his previous start. Um, and another guy who I wasn't going to mention, but he one hit the Red Sox today for, uh, I believe it was seven innings, uh, Asher uh, Wojciechowski, uh, he's uh, he he just 
pitched. He struck out, I believe, it was six of the first nine um, hitters he faced, uh, uh, or at least the uh, yeah, uh, six of the first uh, nine outs he got were strikeouts, and uh, he looked really good. Um, mixing up his pitches, uh, getting uh, nipping the corners. Sure, he won't always do that, uh, but pitching at LA. Uh, it's like a middle park. Uh, it's not like that pitcher friendly, but it doesn't hurt you um, with the long ball. So I think on the other side of that uh, matchup that uh, Wojciechowski should be uh, pretty good as well. Uh, Saturday, who you got, uh, Brian? Uh, so Saturday I'm going with Alex Young from Arizona which um, I actually was surprised how how owned he is because he's pushing in the 20s and almost 30s in some leagues. Right. And I think it's just because he's had such a, a great start. But he has only had three starts um, this year. Uh, and he's, a, he's 25 years old. He's a lefty. Um, but, you know, so I don't know that people really know much about him. And he's really not a highly touted prospect. But he's, he's had some success. So far this year, and um, you know, I earlier talked about Zach Gallon on Miami, but also talking about how bad the Miami lineup. So I'm going to switch it now. Talk, mm-hmm. So talking about pitching against Miami, and um, I think a, a lefty uh, pitching against the the Marlins has a real good chance to have a good game. Interesting, taking a look at him a little bit closer. Uh, he is not. He doesn't have great stuff. I mean, it, um, his four seamer is only 90 miles an hour. And he does have a, mm-hmm. you know, sinker is only like a mile per hour less than that. He throws a slider, a curve, and a change. It does have some, some different pitches, uh, looks. But there's not a whole lot of change in velocity between them because even his curveball, his slowest pitch, is only 82. It's 82 is only, so it's mm-hmm. only eight mile an hour change from his four-seamer. So I think he really is going to have to distinguish those pitches a little more to be successful long-term. But in a um, in a game against the Marlins, um, I think he's got a real good chance at Miami. So so it's uh, Pitchers Park. Um, one of the other interesting things, he's not going to strike out a ton of guys, but he also doesn't walk. He hasn't walked many yet. He's he's got 13 strikeouts to three walks in these three, in these three games. So he's only only averaging one walk per game. So I, I like that. Um, interesting, he's given up two home runs which on the outset looks bad since he's only had three games, but he's only given up two runs, which means that he's given up two solo home runs as his only runs that he's given up. So I do like the fact that the guys aren't on base when he is giving up. He's making a mistake here and there, but they're not hurting him because he's not getting, he's not letting guys get on base for free. So that they're earning that. And that's why he's had such success. Again, 18 innings, 18 and two thirds innings, um, only three starts, but, a point zero nine six ERA and um, a point zero a zero point four eight WHIP even after three games and that's three games that you have a minus you know a, a, a sub one ERA and WHIP you can't take that for granted and you have to think that against the Marlins he's a really good streaming option and um, if you don't get him somebody else will. Nice, yeah, uh, that's a good option, especially uh, the .96 ERA is in, uh, incredible, along with the .48 uh, uh, whip. Uh, he, he's, been, he's been good. Uh, Cole, who you got for 
Saturday? Well, first off, I would touch on, you know, the thing about Alex Young, or uh, at least talking about this profile of giving up two home runs, uh, equivalent to two earned runs. First off, uh, in the 18.2 innings uh, that I'm seeing, uh, he's he's given up two home runs in those 18.2 innings, but that's still less than one home run per nine. So it's not a home run issue uh, right. by any stretch. Um, but what I would say in general with a profile, if you're looking at a profile where you know those home runs and earned runs are close to each other in the early uh, in the early outings, what I think we have to look for. Uh, just like everything, but when something's sticking out to you, um, does it look repeatable in motion? Because, it, you know, is he giving up home runs, and do you think he's going to continue to give up home runs despite low whip uh, because his stuff doesn't have a whole lot of movement and he keeps it towards the heart of the zone and people are going to start figuring that out and get more aggressive? Uh, or is it just simply the case that he's given up two home runs? He's going to give up about one home run per nine innings, which is a great number, especially as someone who uh, suppresses base runners. And if he's going to be able to, you know, continuously suppress base runners uh, a good amount, I don't know the answer in Alex Young's case. But uh, in Alex Young's case, I guess what I'm what I'm getting at is if you do stream him, and if this is a player, say you're in a deeper league or just in any kind of league, and, and you're looking for long term value, I think that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at the pitches, not even the pitches that get hit hard, but the, p- the pitches that might be able to get hard, uh, get hit hard, that are going to be, uh, you know, focused on towards the middle third of the plate, um, both horizontally and vertically, or, or just pitches that, you know, maybe if if it's not that leading mm-hmm. pitches hanging, if it's the kind of pitches that you see where they are seemingly hitting the corners. Um, but the batters seem to track them incredibly well uh, and be able, you know, to do their damage on them. Uh, I also think one interesting observation uh, outside of Alex Young going to this uh, a general slate uh, of games here is that we have uh, a couple of uh, TBDs here um, that are a, a right. little interesting because, you know, I, I don't know who's going to be the starter, but like, uh, Toronto, uh, Tampa Bay Rays at Toronto is a TBD. Um, so a Toronto matchup uh, could be advantageous. This is, I believe, more for tomorrow, um, but uh, or not tomorrow, but the day after Sunday. Um, that yeah. uh, that the Seattle Mariners might have a TBD uh, against the Detroit Tigers. Um, These. San Francisco Giants have a TBD uh, against the San Diego Padres, and actually that that matchup I think is TBD on both sides. So that's going to be you know n- no superstar offenses uh, in, in a pretty big park there. Um, so I think those are are some of the uh, Saturday matchups I'm keying in on. I don't think there's any in particular Saturday matchup that sticks out to me. Um, I like the Samson mm-hmm. Saturday matchup. I believe it might be on Saturday now, but whether it's on Saturday or Sunday or not, I know Brian uh, wants to talk about that one. And so I think that that's a, a solid one that we can touch on uh, in a minute here. I think Homer Bailey, once again, you know, you don't know how long it's going to stay up for, but he does have uh, another decent start. Texas Rangers do have a, an underrated more, more so than normally rated, I would say. Uh, offense, but I, I'm still, you know, trying to experiment and where I can put Homer Bailey. You know, that, that Texas game is going to be in Oakland, and I'm, I'm going to start experimenting, I think, 
uh, as a streamer and as a daily fantasy play on where you can get away with in terms of park uh, and offense playing Homer Bailey. Uh, and this might be one combination of, you know, average, maybe even above average offense, but a uh, great park that I'm uh, interested in exploring uh, with Homer Bailey. Um, you know, with, with how well he's been playing, I know his, his ownership percentage is skyrocketing, but uh, Jordan Yamamoto of the Miami Marlins has another positive matchup here uh, against the Arizona Diamondbacks. So if if you have any chance on adding him, uh, which is you know in most actively uh, w- with how well he's done recently, might be a little hard. But you know that that's an interesting name. But I do think Saturday is actually harder this week than um, the short the short days of Monday and Thursday. It just doesn't seem to be a lot. Uh, lined up on on that day, so those are just a couple of thoughts in terms of guys like like Bailey and Sampson and and those guys. Yeah, I have uh, Martin Perez on Saturday. I uh, sure he's thirty three percent owned, but he's facing that White Sox lineup. I believe Nova's supposed to be on the other side, so uh, a guy who has struggled all year going against that Minnesota team uh, that's uh, struggled of late, but can still put up runs. Um, and um, I believe Jalen Beeks is supposed to get two bulk days uh, this week because he's supposed to get um, the bulk uh, tomorrow against the Red Sox. So they'll probably see at least Saturday uh, or Sunday. Uh, Jalen Beeks should also see uh, a lot of run against the Blue Jays. So, um, and you want to touch on Samson, Brian? Uh, uh, before we move on to um, yeah, our next just, segment, just briefly, and like I like I told you guys off air, I originally had him um, penciled in for Sunday. I saw him on one site as the probable starter for Sunday right. against Mike Fires, and then I checked uh, earlier today when I was putting my notes together, and I saw he was scheduled against Homer Bailey on Saturday. So uh, I'm not quite sure, but you know what? It really doesn't matter. the The opponent doesn't matter. <laughs> it's in Oakland, um, and I think that, um, you know, Oakland is it's got a good team. I mean, it, it, they don't have a bunch of slouches there, but at the same time, it's a good mm-hmm. ballpark for pitchers. And for the most part, the, the, the Oakland bat hasn't been lighting it up recently, with the ex- exception of uh, maybe uh, Lariano. Uh, Lariano has been, has been lights out, but the other big – Boppers right. are not killing it right now, so it might be a nice time to go in there and uh, pick up a win for Samson. Um, he's an interesting guy. He's 27 years old. 27 years old. Um, he's uh, he's a guy that split time in the rotation and the bullpen throughout the year, so he does a little bit of everything. So that I know Texas really likes him because he kind of fills the need wherever it needs to be. Um, this is his first full season in the majors because he's done a lot of back and forth over the couple, last couple of years. The, the peripherals aren't great. You know, 492 ERA, but he's got right around there with his FIP, so you get you, you get what you, you know, it, there's nothing strange about the numbers. It is what it is. Uh, his whip is just under 1.5, so, you know, not great. But, it, again, in Oakland, I think it's going to play down a little bit, so it'll get a little bit better. And he's another guy that doesn't walk mm-hmm. a ton of people. He's had a couple issues with the um, uh, with the home runs. That's my only concern. But being in the in the Coliseum there, that's not going to be as big of an issue as maybe it was in Texas. Because when you pitch in Texas, 
you sometimes give up a lot of home runs just because the ball travels there. So um, he's just a guy that um, I thought might be just a nice fill-in, um, whether it be Saturday or Sunday. I think he he has a chance to, to be a decent streamer. Nice. Yeah. Uh, we'll move on to our next segment. Um, I think I'll throw the uh, – we were going to do a prospect segment and a trade segment. Um, how do you guys talk about – uh, the guys you have, um, I think, in one giant segment. So basically, players who are on trade for and prospects that people should watch. And we'll start with Cole. If you can just list all your players, why you think you should trade for them, whatnot, or or speculative ads, um, and then we'll move on to uh, Brian before we um, talk about uh, previews. Yeah, sure thing. So, um, first off, I, I, I might try to pull out some specs, but I think for the most part I'm going to try to tr- uh, stick to the trade market. And even there, I, I'm, I'm a little, uh, you know, uh, lesser on this. Uh, you know, I've been been moving this weekend. Yeah. But I think a couple guys that I would want to throw out. Um, first things first, you know, I, I've seen this name thrown out a lot in trade deadline, fancy trade deadline uh, rumors. We've talked about mm-hmm. them today. Um, but I don't know what the p- potential market would be uh, for a player like Jose Ramirez. Um, I- I- I've heard that mm-hmm. thrown out from the Cleveland Indians side of things. You know, my difficulty is I, I find it hard to believe that ma- very many owners have sat on this guy uh, with the first round pick designation, and all of a sudden he's you know hitting 340 so far in July. Um, and they're trying to cash out. It seems more like they're trying to uh, – they would try to use that to, to hit their ascension rather than to cash out. Um, but, you know, I, I do also believe that there there are those kind of owners out there. There's all kinds of owners out there. Uh, I think one thing that people forget when we talk about trades is that uh, one man stupid is another man savvy. Um, and, and that just is the truth about the trade market. You know, um, it's why I talk a lot about counterintuitive buying high and selling low. Um, and I've, I've gotten so much flack from that in the internet because people say things like buying high makes fundamentally no logical sense. And that, that's incorrect because baseball players are not stocks. And even if they were stocks, there's points in a stock market. Like, listen, the first time Apple spiked in sales was not the highest their stock got. So you would have been buying high then, you know. I think I think people are just diverse to the idea of buying high because you're already going uh, against expectations or selling low. Uh, one of my favorite personal examples is the year that Justin Verlander broke back out. Um, I had so many conversations right. when I was buying from owners and talking to people uh, about the trades I was trying to make for Justin Verlander, where it was just like people talking to you like, no, you're just the idiot who saw three good games and wants to change your opinion and buy high. And at the end of the day, I placed in pretty much every league I played in that year because I traded for Justin Verlander. And after after April and the year that he came back to it, he was like the best pitcher for the last five months of the year and got robbed of the Cy Young by Rick Porcello. Uh, so, you know, what, this is a roundabout way of saying, a lot of people are going to look at Jose Ramirez, Jose Ramirez a lot of different ways. I think the most common is a first-round pick that people have been waiting for this for so long that it makes it harder for him to move. But I do think there's going to be plenty of owners who are going to be looking at the situation he's put forth recently and said, 
you know what? I need I, I need to get something from this because I'm tired of this guy and I think he might go back to what he's been and I don't want to deal with that and somebody else will pay for it right now. And I think I would be someone uh, willing to pay that price. Um, this is also another popular name going around and he has been for a while. But Framil Reyes is a player um, that we've been talking about on this show. Um, one of the people that came on at one point um, I believe it was one of our Kevins um, mentioned about how living near the Fort Wayne system, you he- you heard a lot when he was in that Fort Wayne affiliate, uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana affiliate of the San Diego Padres, uh, that Fernando Reyes was a player that uh, people had really taken to and really believed had a bright and prominent future, and that that was probably getting back through channels up up to the front offices about you know what people believe in this guy. Um, and then aside from all that, I think what's interesting to me about Framil Reyes is that in especially most leagues that we're talking about, which are redraft leagues, you're never buying a player for their careers. And I think in that situation, you know, it, it, it's hard to comparatively go to, to compare two gambles. Um, but at the same time, every player that you get is a gamble. And, and the thing with Framil Reyes is – uh, him panning out for a month and a half, two months, could be exponentially better than a lot of these players. Like, I mean, if he hits fire, he could really hit fire and start, you know, knocking every single ball out of the ballpark at a at a ridiculous rate. Um, and even if that's not who he is in the long term, even if that isn't his sustainable upside, um, I, you know, I think he's the kind of player who can do things like that, and, and the price isn't too high right now. So, so that's the guy I'm interested in. Uh, all that said, you know, X stats have been saying this guy's been killing it from from week one of the season, and it hasn't necessarily happened yet. Uh, and I do think he still has flaws, but you know, those are those are a couple of uh, players I'd be interested in discussing. Nice, yeah, uh, those guys are nice. Uh, I'll quickly mention one. Um, this is a guy who you can probably get uh, cheaper than what his value will be for the uh, last two and a half, uh, two, two, basically two and a quarter months. Um, uh, J.D. Martinez uh, of the Red Sox. He's had a tough, tough stretch the last couple of weeks. Um, he sort of broke out of it last night. Uh, he went three for four with a, I think, a double and two singles uh, drove in drove in a couple, um, but tonight, uh, well, today the whole Red Sox lineup uh, was uh, confused by the journeyman, the uh, Orioles they're out there, um, but if you can get J.D. for cheap, uh, I feel like it might be a good option because it's, it's only getting warmer, and uh, he should be doing much better. Uh, he's been doing all, all the same things he did last year. Um, if you look at the, the extra stats out there on him. Uh, Brian, who who you got for either players you want to trade for or um, uh, prospects? You can just name all of them, and then we'll move on to our series previews. Sure. So I'll just focus on on the trade guys, too, since that's what you guys have been focusing on. Um, For my – I got a hitter that I'm looking to try to, to acquire and it's from Tampa Bay, Nate Lowe, and it's not to be confused with Brandon Lau, who has the same spelling of the last name. Yeah. <laughs> it's been their second baseman right. for most of the year. But Nate, but Nate Lowe is, um, is a first baseman DH type. With, um, he's, you know, he still could be cheap because his first time up in the majors, he was not effective. And he really doesn't have 
you know, it, if you look at it from one mm. way, he doesn't have like a specific position, and there seems to be a lot of those type of guys there. But uh, if you look at it a little closer, um, Lowe is a guy that could get a pretty much find at bats almost every day. And and the reason why I say that is because yeah, he can only play first base or DH, but he is more effective than uh, G-Man Choi is. He's probably going to play over him. Mm-hmm. And right now, he's slotted basically in the cleanup spot. Uh, he's been much better since his recall. And he's uh, so he's slotted in that cleanup spot between Tommy Pham and, and Yanni Diaz because it, it kind of breaks it up with the righty-lefty-righty there. So he is getting a good slot position and guys in front of him with uh, Meadows and Pham are having a good game getting in front of him. He's able to, uh, to you know, come up with, with guys on. And the reason why I like him is throughout his, his minor league career, he has been a, a, a solid contact hitter. He has great discipline. His best trait is his hit tool. And people think of him more of a, a, of a power hitter. But the fact of the matter is he hasn't been as prolific as a power hitter as you would think he would be. He has what, you know, the, the scouts consider him to have um, that raw power. He has plus raw power, but his game power hasn't caught up to that yet. But I'm okay with that because, yeah. you know, he's batting almost 300. I mean, he's batting 285 right now, but he's been batting, you know, over 300. He gets on base 35% of the time. He is now, right now his, his, um, his split, I mean, his, um, his flash line is 284, 359, 531. And that's, that's his major league mm-hmm. um, flash line. And that's after having a rough, kind of initial call-up. So he's doing much better now. I think he's in the lineup for good. If the Tampa wants to stay in this race, they need to have the best hitters in their lineup. And quite frankly, he's better than most of those other guys uh, that he's rotating with. And I think they're going to find ways to get him in the lineup pretty much every day unless they're fight, fighting, uh, facing a very tough lefty. So that's when you can see him sit for, you know, they might put uh, Travis Bernard as, at first base because uh, he's a righty bat that particular day. Uh, or whatnot, but uh, he's going to be in there. He does have potential for power, even though he hasn't shown it yet. Five home runs, 12 RBIs, 15 runs um, in the, in his limited uh, play so far. But the biggest thing, you know, he's struck out 25% of the time so far, but in his minor league career, he's struck out about 20%, but he also usually gets on base at a very high point. Mm-hmm. So I think that we're going to see him um, be effective, and he's a nice guy to target down the stretch. And the other guy, uh, the pitchers I'm looking at is a little bit maybe um, outside the box, but being major league fantasy sports, uh, our leagues have a very unique look at relief pitchers, and they're critical. Um, to have a good bullpen is critical in our leagues. And one guy I'm looking at acquiring is uh, Aaron Bummer. Love the name. Uh, he's, a, mm-hmm. he's a current setup guy for the White Sox. And you can't tell me that Alex Colmay is not going to be, be uh, traded in the next week or two. Um, there's like, in my opinion, there's like literally no chance that he will still be on the White Sox right. come August 1st. And if that's the case, I think Aaron Bummer is going to take over the closing role. So he's going to get saved on top of already his opportunities right now as, um, you know, he's been very effective in a 173 ERA and a .88 whip, um, 25% strikeout rate, 8% walk rate, extremely effective, 10 holds gotten picked up a, a save. He has 31 game uh, appearances. So I think he's going to really be somebody down the stretch, especially if he slides in that closure role. Is, uh, it could be really a, a nice pickup because you might be able to still get him for cheap if he gets to a guy who doesn't c- connect the dots with Colmay probably getting traded in the next week. 
Nice. Yeah. Uh, all those guys are uh, great pickups. Uh, Cole, we'll start with your uh, series previews. You can talk about both uh, weekday and weekend, uh, and then we'll move on to Brian to wrap up. Uh, I mean, honestly, I uh, I didn't have too much written down for them, and, and since we're getting so late in the That's show, fine. and I do got to get a four-hour drive still tonight, uh, I, I'll just go uh, <laughs> and piggyback on a couple things that, uh, that uh, Brian said um, and, and expand on one particular topic because I think it's important, an important topic. Uh, and that's Alex Colomay and closers in general as we get to this trade deadline. You know, I think one thing, and I won't turn this into a Mets rant, but I think one thing that Brody Van Wagenen (laughs) is going to learn after his first year is that you don't make winners with closers. You just don't. It doesn't ever happen. Mariano Rivera Mm -hmm. can turn a winner into one of the greatest winners of all time, can help that winner secure those championships and be remembered in record but he can't make a team that's bad good, okay? And, and, and win shares just don't affect that much from the closer position. Shane Green has been phenomenal this year. I mean, utterly phenomenal uh, in terms of getting saves and all this. And it's, it's literally like he saved every single Detroit Tigers win because they're so bad overall. The closing position is not the position of winners. You have to build the whole team and then, you know, build the bullpen. Honestly, a lot of the times, lastly, because that's what happens. Because the real, the real problem when I'm going into this Mets conversation um, isn't that they brought in Diaz. It's that Diaz didn't fix any of their problems. And even if Edwin Diaz was pitching like a lights-out closer, you know, if, if you switch Edwin Diaz with Shane Green, do they win that many more games? I'm going to still say no. Um, because it's a, it's only affects you for 70 innings, and you know it's just not that big of a position. And I think the fact that those teams, I think the Mets still have more wins, despite the fact that Diaz has like a five ERA and Shane Green's been phenomenal. Um, and I think that shows it all right there. The reasons why, no matter how good Alex Colomay is, no matter how good he's doing, uh, and and players like Alex Colomay and Shane Green and these type of guys, when you're over a certain even 28-year-old Hill, even 29-year-old Hill, and you're not on a winning ball club, that ball club has to realize that the number one benefit that you bring to them is your, your, your value as a trade ship. Because, you know, yes, the Chicago White Sox want to turn it around quickly, but having Alex Colomay mm. or not having Alex Colomay is probably not that big of a factor compared to having, say, Luis Robert and Nick Madrigal or not having Luis Robert and Nick Madrigal. And I think, you know, you're going to want to find the next Alex Colomay, who's already 30 years old, um, for the next year. It's nice to have a player around like this. It's nice if you can convince him to stay on an extension or somewhat. But at the end of the day, um, you know, he's, I think he's on a walk year. If not, he's got one more year under control. And just, you know, keeping him around just to control a reliever who's not affecting your wind shares and just doesn't even have the theoretical capacity to, to affect your wind shares that much makes it so that you have to trade them. And it, it's not like a leverage less situation. You do have leverage to trade him and you have leverage to trade him to all the other teams that want him. But at the end of the day, if I'm the White Sox, if I'm the Tigers, if I'm 
any losing team with a closer who isn't like 22 years old, I'm looking to move that player. You know, uh, Ken Giles. Ken Giles is a phenomenal closer, but if he's 100% healthy, and he's even fairly young, but if he's 100% healthy and I'm the Toronto Blue Jays, it has nothing almost to do with skill. It has to do with position, Mm -hmm. and, you know, that's the whole point in terms of winners becoming better winners with closers instead of losers becoming winners. And I know it's such a weird argument to make, but I truly believe that's kind of the way that you have to frame it in your head. Closers can make winners win in the playoffs, uh, and they can have a big effect on that. I truly believe that they can be one of the most important positions when it comes to that. The closers do not fundamentally turn losing teams into winning ball clubs. And if you're a losing team trying to make a winning ball club, the quickest way to do that through the closer position is to actually find successful closers that you can trade away for assets that have more long-term value and will play more than 70 innings, uh, you know, 70 innings a year. So, so that's why I just like to add to that whole column and discussion. You know, you, and you know, to, to put a second fantasy spin on it, like uh, the original argument, keep an eye on some of these guys who are almost for sure going to move, and the guys who are underneath them, because in a lot of leagues, in a lot of leagues, those guys are already on, but in a lot of leagues, they're not. In a lot of leagues, people own close to 30 to 35 or 38 relief pitchers, where 30 of them are closers, and like just the top 10 potential guys are owned depending on your, your league settings. So a lot of these closers in waiting who could be become the closers by August 1st, uh, when these relief pitching trade dead, uh, these relief pitching trades happen, uh, are going, going to be prominent, you know, so just keep an eye out on that if you're chasing saves and, and that's all I got to add to that subject. All right. Um, cool. If you want to head out a little early, um, and I'll close out the show with uh, Brian since you have a long journey ahead of you. Uh, you said a four-hour drive, so if you want to head out now, that's uh, fine. Uh, and I'll talk to you in a few weeks. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, I'll be I'll be back on the show as soon as possible. Um, this is just you know a, a hectic week. We are I am moving out of my lease right now. Right. I'm heading back home because I don't have a place to stay tonight in town. Um, but I, I would like to thank you, uh, thank you for for you know having me on the show tonight, and you know just um, yeah, no problem. I, I just like to keep keep up with uh, the the fantasy stuff to the audience and get ready for this trade deadline, and also just uh, you know one last uh, not bring it up again, but one last in memoriam because uh, I I think I might watch a Tyler Skies game up here uh, soon and just just re re enjoy it because he was he was someone that I, I truly enjoyed watching pitch um, and so yeah just wanted to throw yeah. that out there and. Uh, I'll take care, and I'll see you guys uh, soon. Yeah, have a good one, Cole. Um, uh, Brian, if you want to close out, uh, just talk about uh, briefly the matchups you're looking forward to this week, and I'll uh, just touch on um, the matchups I'm looking forward to. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, there there are two very intriguing ones that I'm looking at this week. Um, the, the uh, during the week, uh, the three-game series between the Yankees and the Twins are very interesting to me. This is in Minnesota, mm-hmm. and the Twins have um, historically not fared well against the Yankees, and the, the Yankees may be in their head a little bit. So this is an important series yeah. for the Twins to try to win, take two out of three, to prove to themselves that they could hang with the Yankees if they end up having to play them uh, in the playoffs. And um, the matchup is yeah. an interesting one. You have CC versus 
uh, Martin Perez, um, uh, Herman against Gibson, and Half against Odorizzi. And so I think it's a pretty even uh, matchup across the board. And you know that both these teams have bats that can hit. So to me, I think there's two keys to this to this uh, series. And is, can the Yankees um, um, wait out the starters? Get to, uh, in, in other words, can they right. take enough pitches to get the starters out of the game in five innings so they can get into that bullpen early? Because the end, the back end of the the, the Twins bullpen is pretty good with with uh, Parker and Rogers, but that middle relief is horrendous. Mm-hmm. It's one of the worst in the league. And so they can get into the bullpen in the fifth or sixth inning. They have a chance. They've been feasting on bad middle relieving pitching all year the Yankees have, and part of the reason why they've been so good. Mm-hmm. So they can knock these guys out in the fifth or sixth and get two, two-and-a-half innings in against these scrub middle relievers. Um, they have, they could, uh, you know, sweep the twins. But if um, if they're not, if they get too aggressive and, and they or, or these twins pitchers can get to the seventh inning, I think it's going to be a really, really close series. So and then on, on the flip side, uh, these old bats the Twins have. I mean, they have a lot of good hitters on that team, but just some of them are in their 30s. And are they going to um, be clutch? Are they going to show up for this important series? This might be one of the most uh, important series that they've they've had all year, and um, they need to be able to show up in these big games just just to prove they can show up in the playoffs. Um, and I think that's mm-hmm. going to be uh, a key uh, to this series. And then over the weekend. Um, the Dodgers Nationals, and on the on the one side, it might not look that intriguing because the Nationals aren't even in first place. But a lot of people that you listen to in uh, in a lot of uh, like MLB Network and a lot of um, the <clears throat> the professional analysts out there seem to think that the Nationals are the only team that could take take down the Dodgers in the playoffs. And the reason why is when healthy, they have the only rotation that right. they can hang with them, uh, and that's the key. If healthy, because in this particular week, the Dodgers do have the top three guys going with Ryu, Kershaw, and Mueller, but the Nationals have Ross, Fetty, and Strasburg going in there because, um, well, first they got the Dodgers get, um, get the, the Miss Corbin, but with, um, you, know, you know, arguably the best pitch in the league, Scherzer right now uh, dealing with some back issues, they get the, the Miss him as well. So this is should have the Dodgers all over it, but the, the Nationals are still in the playoff chase but uh, we've talked all year about how bad their bullpen is. And if the Nationals do not go out and get some bullpen pieces in this next week, then they might as well just admit that they're not trying to win. But um, I think this weekend series is going to play a big role in that because if they can manage to take two out of three uh, in, this, in this weekend series in a, uh, a get with the pitching match stacked against them, I think they will believe. And if they do so, they're going to go out because Rendon has been good. Soda has been decent. they got some hitters. Even though they've been inconsistent, mm-hmm. they have these. These guys are all clicking come playoff time. They have the bats that could hang with the Dodgers. They have the arms if healthy to hang with the Dodgers, but you know they don't have the bullpen. And their bullpen is gonna. You know, Doolittle's been great, but can't, if he can't get to them, you know, just like what we talked about the Yankees, the Dodgers are gonna destroy that middle relief pitching. And so um, the, they need to to go out and get those pitchers. I have a feeling that if they get mm-hmm. bombed this weekend, if they get swept this weekend, the Nationals might be a seller at the deadline and not a and not a uh, buyer. Nice, yeah. Uh, both those series sound interesting. Uh, I'm actually looking forward to uh, the Red Sox are uh, have two very important series that could also determine if they're 
buyers or sellers uh, at the deadline. They just lost uh, two out of three to the Orioles. Um, they head to Tampa for a three-game set, and then they have a four-game set in Boston against the Yankees. And then, then they have the reverse the next week. They have uh, three at home against Tampa and then four on the road against the Yankees. So these next two weeks are uh, really big uh, for the Red Sox um, to really get back into maybe and not just the divisional race, but there are four games out of that wild card spot uh, as well. So uh, it's a big couple of weeks uh, for the Red Sox, and um, hopefully it's a it's a good week uh, for everyone's uh, fantasy teams as well. Anything you want to close with? Um, Brian, and then we'll uh, get out of here. I'll just make a really crazy suggestion, and then probably won't happen, but we talked earlier about Aaron Sanchez um, and how he struggled this year. Like, I've always thought that, man, yeah. his stuff profiles like a late-inning, high-leverage reliever. So if the, the, mm-hmm. if the Blue Jays are smart enough to trade Giles, wouldn't it be awesome to throw him at the end of that, um, at the, uh, in the back end of that, bullpen and I think his stuff is going to pick up you know velocity in the one inning it's going to probably go up you know seven ten miles an hour and right. his stuff will be so nasty there so they experimented with thinking about doing that I think uh years ago but for some reason they've stuck with him as a re- as a starter this may be the time get rid of Giles you got Barecki coming up Nate Pearson's close to coming up he's going to be a, a good starter for them this might be the time to transition him into the back end of the rotation of uh, the bullpen. You might have your next lights out closer. Nice, yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on uh, both those situations. Um, as always, it's a pleasure, Brian. Uh, hopefully, uh, you have a good night. Uh, hopefully, you get those co- uh, computers up and running, and uh, you have a yeah. a working computer uh, sometime soon. <laughs> All right. Appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, no problem. Uh, That'll do it tonight uh, for the Major League Fantasy Baseball radio show. Uh, Next week, in the next couple weeks, I'll be off. Cole will uh, have all your fantasy baseball needs. Uh, Feel free to call in. Uh, The call-in number is 323-870-4395. So feel free to call that uh, going forward. and uh, everyone, uh, hopefully, uh, everyone enjoys the trade deadline, and hopefully, uh, not only your uh, fantasy team wins, but uh, the Major League Baseball team you support also wins. Take care. Mm-hmm.